Okay. Good evening, everybody. Welcome back to Exploring the Lord of the Rings. This is session number 150 today. Uh, and uh, it's good to be here with you all. I think it's session number 26 on uh, the Council of Elrond, so we are proceeding through at approximately the pace we all expected. So welcome back. Uh, tonight we get to the charming bromance of Aragorn and Gollum. Um, but uh, actually, in setting up for that, we have a, I have, I have a selection from the, our, our discussion board that I wanted to share. But first, one announcement tonight, uh, and that is I wanted to remind everybody about Mythmoot, which is coming up very soon. Uh, and I want to make sure everybody knows about this and has the opportunity, because indeed this year everybody does have the opportunity uh, to attend with us. Mythmoot, of course, is the big annual conference of Signum University. Uh, it is uh, just a wonderful gathering. Uh, this year, we are going completely online with uh, Mythmoot. Unfortunately, I really held out against that as long as we could, but we couldn't hold out any longer. Uh, and so instead, we're just going to make it about the most awesome online conference that's ever been. So um, there are two enrollment levels to Mythmoot, and it basically should be determined if you're if you're wondering. Okay, so there's Mootcast and there's Moot Hub, and if you if you're wondering like which one should I sign up for, or what's the difference between uh, Mootcast and Moot Hub? Essentially, the primary difference I would say is whether or not you're able to join us in real time. Because if you're not able to join us in real time, then you should do Mootcast. Uh, basically, Mootcast gives you the ability to uh, see all of the presentations uh, and to and also there's an archived recording of all the presentations. So you, if you can, if you can jump in on a few of them live, that's awesome. That's, that's really cool. Cause then you could even, you know, get questions answered and stuff like that. But uh, if you can't, that's okay. Because as I said, there's going to be a published archive of all of the recorded sessions. So that's really cool. However, if you do, if you are able to participate between August 6th and August 9th, which are the official days of Mythmoot, then you'll be able to participate in a great deal more than you be able, than you are able to get through Mootcast. Moot Hub means that you are part of the whole like buzzing activity of the conference and you get to participate not only uh, in the regular sessions, the regular paper sessions and presentations, but you also get to... Um, take part in all the cool informal social stuff. You get to have special Q&A sessions with our speakers. You get to hang out uh, with folks, do our costume contest, do our uh, pub trivia contest, and we're going to have whole like dedicated social channels and everything uh, where we're, we're really hoping to sort of make connections as much as possible. This is what... Um, uh, this is uh, what... Mood Hub is really about trying to preserve uh, the uh, thing that we look forward to every year, getting a chance to connect with people uh, at uh, at uh, at Mythmoot. This is the one thing that I was really, really hoping for uh, and uh, sort of trusting in when we made this decision, uh, that I, I wanted to lose that as little as possible. Because, of course... We do online events all the time. That's kind of what we do, you know, every day of the year. Um, Mythmoot is a special opportunity for connection. And so I was uh, I'm really excited about how that's uh, going to work out. Um, so if you're able to, to join us live during those days, uh, the 6th through the 9th uh, of August, 
which is just in a couple weeks now, I definitely encourage you to sign up for Mood Hub because it's going to be it's going to be really really cool. Um, but again, if you can't. Mootcast will get will get you access to all of the big stuff uh, that you would really want to make sure you didn't miss. Um, so anyway, that's what we're talking. Yeah, it's a couple of weeks, JJ. Yeah, exactly. It's a couple of weeks. It's uh, it's like nine days from now. You know, that's it's a week and then a little more than and then a little more than that. <laughs> so one point. OK, I'll compromise with you, JJ, on one point five weeks. That's that's fine. It is a week and a half from now. Uh, and uh, it's uh, it's pretty cool. I'm 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 getting excited. I'm doing uh, I'm leading two sessions uh, at Mythmoot. Uh, I'm uh, I'm I'm leading two poetry discussion sessions. We're doing We're going to do some some hardcore poetry analysis uh, in these two sessions. One on some Tolkien poems that I don't really understand very well, so I'm really looking forward to working uh, through them with folks. Uh, and then uh, I'm going to do another session on uh, my my newest passion, uh, the that poetic genre uh, uh, that I have recently discovered, which is just one of the most amazing, beautiful, and remarkable linguistic genres in the history of verse that I know of, uh, and that is, of course, rap. Uh, so we're going to be t- we're going to be talking about the prosody of rap, uh, working through some of that because I'm still trying to master it. It's so complicated. Anyway. I'm really excited doing some poetic analysis. Uh, um, I can't wait for Verlin Flieger's talk and Amy Sturgis's talk. And I'm, we're going to perform uh, Verlin Flieger's new play uh, for the first time ever. Uh, so that's going to be really fun. Uh, no, JJ, we did not actually get Eminem as a guest speaker this year. Uh, doubt that's going to happen actually but uh, uh, you know someday someday I would uh, actually be really interested to have a conversation with him uh, especially now that he's sober these days but anyway um, let's uh, <laughs> let's get back to Tolkien here uh, but I, I just did want to remind everybody again Mootcast and Moot Hub uh, you can do Moot you can sign up for them you know right up until the day there's no limit um but of course, sooner is better. We actually are going to, uh, as uh, uh, Dora Ward was just saying, um, the, uh, the 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 Moot Hub social platform is actually going to be opened up this weekend, so we can kind of start pre gaming for the conference a few days in advance. Actually, so that's going to be really fun. Um, but um, yeah, yeah. So Turambar, there are now. This is uh, it is true that if you're in Europe, a lot of the things are going to be at some awkward time zones no question um but not all there will be some that will definitely be within your within your range so again you can choose if you think that there's going to be enough that you'll be able to be around for um because uh, really most of the events will be prior to midnight uh europe time um the majority of things some of them will be after i mean there will be some evening events uh of course um but um uh, anyway, yeah, and so uh, Mario, actually, there is a preliminary schedule posted now. Uh, there's a preliminary schedule, or there's a the sort of a, a, a an overview schedule posted on the 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 webpage, um, and you get there it is. Uh, there you go. Druid's Fire posted the link to the schedule there, um, and there will be for those who have registered. There's going to be more detailed um, uh, details with 
more information about stuff. Uh, so that is uh, that will be should be emailed around uh, pretty soon. Um, oh, and Nancy was asking about uh, uh, brief results of the symposium on the on the humanities. Oh man, that was awesome! So we had our summit on the teaching of the humanities last Saturday. It was it was it was it was so good. It was so good. We had about forty scholars from uh, uh, different disciplines around the humanities. We had a great day. It was uh, a really vigorous discussion. Um, we're planning actually to have some follow up uh, discussions as we continue to kind of work through things. Our plan uh, from here is we're actually going to be working to publish. Uh, a concept paper in which we outline what are some of the things that we think are are holding back the humanities in the current system, um, what are some of the core principles that we think we would want to see done differently with the humanities, and then some specific uh, examples of how we think that that should be done. Uh, so those are uh, we're we're hoping to actually get together and write that stuff up uh, so that we can circulate it and and broaden this discussion even further because. We at Signum certainly think uh, that uh, the humanities, well, a lot more could be done with the humanities. The humanities could certainly be done a lot better. That would often seem like a controversial statement, except for the fact that in so many places, people are stopping even doing the humanities at all. So it kind of seems fairly safe to say that it could be done better. Could be done better than institutions that have given up on doing them at all. Yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's a non-controversial statement. Um, but... Um, Anyway, yeah, so uh, it's uh, it's 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 going to be great. It was a it was a wonderful conversation, and really looking forward to the follow ups and the outcomes from that. That's going to be uh, a lot of fun as we continue moving forward. Of course, ultimately hoping uh, you know towards the final goal of opening our own undergraduate humanities program at Signum University. That's the goal that we're working towards uh, with the dedication and all of the swiftness that we can muster. Well. No, that's not true. We are working with all of the swiftness in t- like <laughs> that we can drag the system along with us uh, on. That's a really our restriction. But uh, anyway, um, uh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Actually, Veronica, I remember when UC Berkeley used to be known for its humanities. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, l- much less so now, right? Um, that's not. Uh, it's not on those grounds that they're competing with Stanford anymore, really. Um, but uh, <laughs> Nancy says, I don't think they like humans much anymore. <laughs> Ouch. Fair enough, though. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, let us get back to like, we chat all evening, which, of course is kind of what we will be doing at Mythmoot. Um but let's uh let's get back to the the Council of Elrond we're never going to get through it here. So, um today we get to Gollum. Um as a segue into Aragorn, I wanted to look at a first-time post uh from a uh, a new listener who's recently been catching up with us. So uh, that was always something that I, I enjoy celebrating. Um, anyway, so uh, it says, uh, anyway, I have worked my way up to episode 140. And in the discussion about Aragorn smiling, you remember we were talking about the smiling of Aragorn. I became curious about this. The gist of the conversation in our, in the class, that is, was that Aragorn does not smile much. And therefore it is of note when it is said that he smiles. This both fit and didn't fit with my impression of Aragorn. Yes, he's grim, and the times he smiles feel like they're important. 
But I also have this image of him smiling queer in my head. So I did some searching and counted how many times he's described as smiling in the text. And then I looked at all the instances of smile being used and which characters were smiling. My ebook gave me 76 instances of smile in the whole book, appendices included. 21 characters smile once, and two of them are also said to not smile, uh, so that accounts for 23 of the instances. The remaining characters who smile more than once are Elrond, Glowen, and Sam smile twice each, Bilbo and Theoden three times each, Frodo and Galadriel four times each, Faramir five times, Gandalf six or seven, that is, remember, there's the, 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 the dubious one, is the one where, Sar- where Saruman says, pray do not smile at me, right? And so it's like, is he actually smiling? I thought he's probably smiling, but it's indirect, right? So anyway, uh, and then Aragorn 14 or 15 times. In the tale of Aragorn and Arwen, it says he became grim to look at unless he chanced to smile. Uh, so that, again, not a definitive record of him smiling, just a, a discussion of him smiling. Now, um, Ragnell goes on. Uh, Aragorn smiles more than any of them. It seems. Now, it can be that the narrator mentions Aragorn's smiles more than others because it seems remarkable that he should smile. And I also thought I saw something of a pattern of when characters smile. There are, for example, no smiles in the field of Cormallon, which I would imagine would be a smiling occasion. And all of Frodo's smiles are on the border of Mordor. It looks like the characters' smiles are more likely to be mentioned when the general situation, or maybe in Aragorn's case, uh, makes smiles to be not, un- unlikely or not expected. Now, this is not a perfect pattern, and all the smiles, uh, all the smiles do not follow it, but can it be that smiling is a way the characters keep up their spirits when things are looking grim? Or that the narrator is signaling something to us? There is hope they can still smile? I am reminded of the description of Aragorn in the tale of Aragorn and Arwen. His face was sad and stern because of the doom that was laid on him, and yet hope dwelt ever in the depths of his heart, from which mirth would arise at times like a spring from the rock. Excellent. Um, That, I think, is... um, Ragnell, thank you for that post. I think that that's really, really interesting, and I love the idea. I... My favorite nugget, actually, in the whole, first of all, the fact that Aragorn gets more smiles than anybody else is really, really interesting. Uh, but my favorite nugget there is the fact that all four times Frodo is described as smiling are on the, the borders of Mordor. Uh, that's really, really interesting and really cool. And I, you know, I think it does have something to do with hope. Um, and uh, I... It certainly makes a, a good deal of sense. Um, now, I, someone, and I think it was Anthony, in response to this on the discussion board, was pointing out that there are some characters who are clearly jovial, right? Who are, are clearly fun-loving guys who don't make the list, right? Who are never, who are not described as smiling much at all. Merry and Pippin being clearest examples. Now, like, do they sm- I'm pretty sure Pippin smiles feel pretty confident about that, right? Yeah, Aronos, that was you. That's what I thought. Um, uh, so I, I totally agree. There's no question that Pippin spends a great deal of his time smiling, right? Um, and yet he, he doesn't get those references in Aragorn. Gets, so does this mean that Aragorn smiles 14 to 15 times more often in general than Pippin does? No, that's, that's clearly absurd, right? That can't be so. And so therefore, it certainly uh, does 
suggests to me that when the narrative mentions the smiles, it is significant in some way, right? Significant, not necessarily always by contrast necessarily, um, but that but that it often should be so makes sense. Like Frodo smiling when he's on the borders of Mordor. I'm sure he smiled often, you know, when they were walking in the Shire as well, you know, but he is described, you know, the smile is described more, uh, more attention is drawn to it on the borders of Mordor. Um, so that I think is, uh, is a very interesting pattern uh, to observe. And therefore, I think that that does seem to me to contextualize Aragorn's smiles. Um, he is grim. He is grim of face. Uh, and that's fairly persistent in him. And as we saw, you know, when <laughs> when we were watching Aragorn attempt to do hobbitry and kind of fail, right? I mean, it was pretty weak. I mean, you know, he's just not good at it. It's not his mode. As we saw, Elrond is better at it than he is, right? Um, It's just not how, it's just not how Aragorn rolls. Um, But at the same time, um, it's, uh, it's not that he never does smile, but it, so it makes sense that his, that more attention would be drawn to his smiles when he smiles. And, and I love the, uh, this, um, um, this quote there at the end from which mirth would arise at times like a spring from the rock, right? Um, it's not that there's no mirth within him. It's not that he's boring. It's not that he's always serious. Um, but he is sad and stern, right? But there is hope dwelling in his heart and mirth does arise from that. Gandalf, of course, is very mercurial in this way as well. Um, he is, uh, 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 Swift in anger, swift to laugh, right? As Frodo's eulogy song will say of him. Um, And that strikes me as similar. Uh, Gandalf is more volatile than Aragorn, um, but only because Aragorn is more steady on the grim side, right? Than than Gandalf is. Um, uh, Yeah, yeah. Um, Interesting. Matt points... Matt uh, was just looking up... uh, uh, grin, and uh, says that uh, Frodo grins while in disguise amidst the orc horde in Mordor, which again reinforces the idea that mirth is that mirth is mentioned when it's worth mentioning, right? When it means something, uh, especially in those kinds of uh, in those kinds of contexts. Yeah, I think that that's real. And so again, I think this tells us something about Aragorn's character. Not that. Hey, we're giving Aragorn a bad rap. Bad rap. He's really like quite cheerful all the time, right? Look at how much he smiles. No, again, it's because those do mean something, right? That it's significant when he does smile, and so more attention is drawn to it. No one's going to go out of their way to say, "And Pippin was smiling." Of course, Pippin was smiling, right? He's usually smiling. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, interesting. Yeah. Marielle is pointing out a similar dynamic. Uh, she says she's uh, in the middle of her annual Pride and Prejudice reread. I just did mine a little while back, Marielle. Uh, and uh, it she says it, uh, almost every adaptation very carefully rations Mr. Darcy's smiles, and they're always significant. Yes, it's true. Um, absolutely. Um, interesting. Now, Tony, that's a fascinating follow-up question. Tony says, I wonder if this is why people think elves are permanently grave. Because their smiles are not mentioned? 
but of course, Tony, by this reasoning, right, by uh, the reasoning that Ragnall's post suggests, it would be, in fact, the opposite, right? Um, that their smiles would not be mentioned so often because they smile so frequently. Again, we see how uh, we do get Lupilia many references to their laughter, right? Which does lead me to suspect that they're smiling quite a bit. Don't you get the impression that Gildor is smiling quite a lot, right? I mean, and I get the impression that Elrond is smiling quite a bit, and goodness knows, if there's anybody living in Middle-earth who, you know, has the excuse for some grimness, Elrond has uh, been through a lot in his life. Uh, You know, his troubles are still not over, uh, but he's been through a lot in his long life, and uh, yet even he seems to have um, less of a less grimness in his overall outlook uh, than um, uh, than Aragorn does. Exactly, Fourth Dallas. No one who is kind as Christmas can be perpetually frowny. Exactly, exactly. Kind as Christmas or as kind as summer in the second edition of The Hobbit. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I I I think um, Tony that this is very it's this is one of the reasons why I tend to resist. The, I like to resist the people who are resistant to the tralalalali poems. People who think that the tralalalali thing is just ridiculous and doesn't fit. That it's an embarrassing uh, misfit with the way that you know. So you know, Tolkien in his sort of immature. Uh, early work, right, depicted elves in this sort of frivolous, uh, silly way, right? And then later on in The Lord of the Rings, when they, you know, sort of like his, you know, depiction of them altered, then, you know, he, uh, he, you know, regretted it and kind of went back on that. And I, I don't, I've never agreed with that. I mean, first of all, there's very little historical backing to it, right? I mean, when he, by the time he wrote The Hobbit, he was already very serious indeed uh, about uh, about the elves, right? And almost everything, the Nirnaithernoidiad, the Kinslaying, you know, Feanor, everything from, the, you know, almost all the major stories of the Silmarillion, Baron and Luthien, um, was already there. The fall of Gondolin. Um, all this stuff existed. Um, uh, but uh, Toramarth, and, and that's, I can, I can never help but think of that when people object uh, to the Tralalalali song, right? That thinking elves are silly is a very silly thing to think. Uh, a slight paraphrase uh, of the line from chapter three of The Hobbit. That, like, the reaction that people have to that chapter is depicted in that chapter, right? When the dwarves are, like, take themselves really seriously and object to the frivolous way in which the elves are carrying on, right? And it seems like so many readers are still in the same place. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So anyhow, uh, it's, it's, I do think that that's an interesting thing, that there are very few, the majority of the elves that we meet, perhaps the reason that we don't hear about them smiling more often than we do, uh, is because they're like Pippin, right? They're always smiling. And if we go back for a second. Um, notice that Galadriel gets four, right? She's relatively, she's not, not, nothing near the, Arag- the Aragorn 
uh, strata, right, as far as number of smiles mentioned. But you can see she's on the she's on the upper end, right? She's not down with Pippin, um, but it's true, Scudo, that she's not in the story very long. So maybe if she got more screen time, right, you know, if she if if she were in the narrative more often, uh, she would be up there, right? So maybe uh, I guess we'd have to um, we'd have to do the ratios, right? How many smiles per page of narrative, right, uh, does, does, does Goadriel get? Uh, if we consider not the, the total gross number of smiles, but the rate of smiles, uh, right, maybe Goadriel's actually higher than Aragorn. But again, my point is that I, I, think, I think it's the same thing, right? I think it's that Goadriel certainly seems very great and very grave. Um, and I think, I mean... To me, Galadriel is the least tralalalalish of all of the elves, right? Well, maybe Caliborn. I don't know. Um, uh, but anyway, neither one of them seem particularly tralalalalish. But perhaps again, her smiles are mentioned as often as they are uh, the four times in those couple chapters because um, be, be, and because she does it. it Tolkien felt like he needed to mention them, right? Because she doesn't seem like she's having as much fun. Even as people like uh, Gildor, even Glorfindel, seems like he's having a little more fun <laughs> than Goadriel does. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, cool. Okay, all right. Anyway, thank you again, Ragnell. For that. that was really fun. And now let's go on to... A scene in which Aragorn does not smile <laughs> in, 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 at the time or in memory. Um, uh, his encounter with Gollum. So remember, Gandalf had just said that, like, into what dangers he had gone alone, he didn't like to think. Um, and here's Aragorn's response. There is little need to tell of them, said Aragorn. If a man must needs walk in sight of the Black Gate or tread the deadly flowers of Morgul Vale, then perils he will have. I too despaired at last, and I began my homeward journey. And then, by fortune, I came suddenly on what I sought, the marks of soft feet beside a muddy pool. But now the trail was fresh and swift, and it led not to Mordor, but away. Along the skirts of the dead marshes I followed it, and then I had him. Lurking by a stagnant mere, peering in the water as the dark eve fell, I caught him, Gollum. He was covered with green slime. He will never love me, I fear, for he bit me, and I was not gentle. Nothing more did I ever get from his mouth than the marks of his teeth. I deemed it the worst part of all my journey, the road back, watching him day and night, making him walk before me with a halter on his neck, gagged, until he was tamed by lack of food and drink. But sorry, by lack of drink and food, driving him ever towards Mirkwood, I brought him there at last and gave him to the elves, for we had agreed that this should be done, and I was glad to be rid of his company, for he stank. For my part, I hoped never to look upon him again, but Gandalf came and endured long speech with him. <laughs> yes, as Karina, I agree. He will never love me is a pretty big understatement there. Fairly, uh, fairly comical understatement there, I think. Um, okay, so... Uh, <laughs> what do you make of this? 
So there are a bunch of things to notice. One thing, and I, I want to mention this first, not because I think it's most important, but perhaps because it's least. Um, one thing that I notice uh, in reading through this here um, is a, a bunch of things that seem to take up, seem to be taken up, uh, either be, either to take up ideas uh, from the later story, which I think is more likely, or to be taken up in the later story, which I think less likely. I say that because I am pretty sure that this passage was written after the later passages were written. But um, if I'm remembering correctly, it was. I don't think this passage was there before. But anyway, um, remember, re remembering ahead, right? Um, Gollum does not want to go around the edges of the dead marshes. He wants to go straight through the middle, right? Well, last time he skirted around the edge of the marshes, he got caught, right? By Aragorn. Um, he is covered, Gollum is covered with green slime, right? Which, of course, I can't help but remember, um, I, I can't help but remember the discussion about the faces, right? Um, I, I, you know, uh, only, uh, only images to see, not to touch, Right? We, I tried, we tried to touch them once. Yes, I tried once, he says. Um, and uh, I'm wondering, again, if uh, it's not uh, recently after that experience that uh, Aragorn uh, caught him here. Um, and that's why Gollum is covered with green slime when he comes upon uh, them, when he comes upon him here. Um, of course, also, there's the image of the forced march. Right, um, Aragorn reports that he made Gollum walk before me with a halter on his neck, gagged until he was tamed by lack of drink and food. Two things in that sentence, of course, make me um, remember ahead, right, to the two towers. Uh, first, making him walk with a halter on his neck, with a rope tied around his neck, right? And, of course, that's exactly what Frodo and Sam are going to do. It would seem following Aragorn's example. But of course, the difference is he, Aragorn, doesn't have an elf rope woven in Lorien, right? Uh, tying him with a mundane rope seemed to be merely, you know, an annoyance to Gollum. Um, but, um, uh, yeah, and I agree, Praise. He's gagged primarily because he's been Try, he's tried to bite him, right? Aragorn not only cannot trust him not to run away, but he can't trust him not to bite him if he leaves his mouth uncovered. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. Um, and, um, uh, but the last thing is uh, tamed by lack of food and by lack of drink and food. Uh, we will remember that, again, remembering ahead, uh, very soon after. Gollum's capture by Frodo and Sam, he is going to go off for food. Um, and Frodo is going to realize they're going to have to let him go off for food. Um, the fact that he, you know, comes back, you know, trust Smeagol now, he says, right? Um, this is, um, what can Aragorn do? What can Aragorn do? Right? He can't, Gollum won't 
uh, uh, won't won't not bite him, right? You know, he has to have his mouth uh, 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 covered, and he tries to bite him every time he lets him go. Uh, he can't trust him to go away, like Frodo does, and even Sam uh, trusts him, right? Uh, trusts him to some extent, trusts to luck even more, right? Trusts to providence, um, acts on his hope, uh, but but it just it, it helps to emphasize the differences there. All I'm saying is we will need to remember this passage when we get there in the two towers, because this is a really important context, I think. Um, an important context. Now, you're right. Edith and Tony are talking about Aragorn not having the ring to hold over Gollum's head. And that's true. But again, I don't think that that's an automatic thing. Indeed, if anything, you would think uh, Frodo being a, a Baggins who is B holding Gollum's precious away from him would make Gollum more feral and untrustworthy rather than less, right? Um, that if, I mean, one would easily say if, uh, if Aragorn had his hands full with Gollum as prisoner, surely that must only be worse for Frodo under, the, under his circumstances, right? But it's not exactly the same. So we just have to remember this contrast, Right. Okay, obviously, there are reasons. And of course, the ring is involved in that. But that's my point. When we get there, we need to remember that this is the baseline that's getting established. Right. A baseline for um, uh, a baseline for Gollum's behavior. Here's how Gollum behaves when he is being compelled to do something against his will, when he's been captured. Right. Um, this is how he behaves savagely. Um yeah, yeah. Uh, savagely, relentlessly, um, seeking every, using all of his wile and all of his strength uh, to attempt to escape by any means, right? That's Gollum's sort of normal behavior. We know that his behavior with Frodo and Sam is not normal for him. Um, and this is one of the main ways that we know. And, and uh, it's interesting because... This is the only time, almost only time, we ever even hear indirectly of Gollum's behavior outside the presence of the ring. We, I mean, we only ever see Gollum acting when he is with Bilbo or when he's with Frodo. We get very, very little um, even indirect description of Gollum's words behavior, activities, when he's not interacting with one of the ring bearer. Um, yeah, and again, people, please understand, I'm not saying that his change of, un of, of attitude and action around Frodo is inexplicable. I, I, know, I understand where it's coming from. I'm just saying we need to remember not to take it for granted, Right. We need to remember not to take it for granted, just to remember this as a baseline, because, again, the, the parallel here is pretty clear, so clear that I, I feel pretty confident uh, that um, I feel pretty confident that uh, Frodo and Sam are themselves remembering it. Right. That the forcing him to walk with a halter around his neck. I think that that's why Frodo as narrator comments on the fact that Sam is gentler than his words. Right. When uh, when. Frodo checks the rope after Gollum starts screaming. Um, he finds that, 
you know, Sam was talking big, but he actually tied it fairly gently, right? He did not tie it tightly. Um, uh, but, um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, good, good. Yeah, uh, distant rumors of the woodman, um, uh, mad violence, but even that's not really an account, right? There are, they, we are told that they have heard rumors of him, but that's all we're told, right? We're not even told, we don't even, we don't even hear a, a third hand story, right? Like Gandalf recounting a story that a woodman told him about what happened when he saw Gollum, right? Um, we don't even get that. Uh, so yeah, this is one of the closest things that we get to this kind of a, what's, what's normal, right? What kind of behavior would be normal for Gollum under these, uh, under these circumstances? Um, yeah. Okay. Anyway, I say this not because I'm wanting to talk about what goes on between Frodo and Sam and Gollum there yet. I'm just saying this bears upon that. So I wanted to draw attention to it so that we remember to come back to that when we get there uh, several years from now. Okay, that was the first thing I wanted to talk about there. Um, The second thing I want to talk about here uh, is... Well, let's start back at the beginning. Aragorn on his journey. If a man must needs walk in sight of the Black Gate or tread the deadly flowers of Morgul Vale, then perils he will have. What do we learn from that? A couple things I think we can learn from that. What does Aragorn do when Gandalf leaves? When Aragorn is now on his own, right, no longer hampered by this wizard, right, and able to get down to some real tracking, as we were talking about before, um, what's his plan? Aranas, yeah, exactly. He checks the borders, the entries. It seems to me fairly clear that Aragorn immediately suspects that Gollum went in to Mordor. Right. Um, He clearly that Gandalf said that they saw signs that he stayed there for some time. Right. They found his like lair or whatever, wherever it was he was staying when he was sort of living there in the uh, sort of greater, um, greater Athelian area. Right. Um, But exactly. He does search the exits or entrances for any sign, for any evidence that Gollum came in or out. Um, this, now I don't know that this means that this is, you know, a private theory of Aragorn's not shared by Gandalf. I don't think that we have enough evidence to conclude something like that. Um, but, um, yeah, Sam asks, wouldn't it be helpful to bring a Gandalf into Mordor? Well, maybe, maybe not. Uh, I mean, I, Gandalf might be, more readily perceptible uh, to the enemy? I don't know. I mean, Gandalf did sneak into Dol Guldur, so I guess he's got some history of that. You know, Gandalf can apparently be stealthy when he wants to be stealthy. Um, but um, uh, but in any case, again, I, I I don't think we have reason to believe that Aragorn was saying, was like, again, like that Gandalf was, I mean, I was joking about that, but I don't think that Gandalf was really holding uh, uh, Aragorn back and he's like, phew, okay, now I'm on my own. Um, but um, but in any case, clearly he is thinking of 
the entrance is, and he clearly he's thinking of both, right? Morgul Vale. Why would he go to Morgul Vale? Because he thinks Gollum might have done. Does that mean that he's thinking of Kirith Ungol specifically? Maybe. Perhaps. Um, does he suspect that maybe Gollum was captured by the Nazgul and taken to Morgul Vale? That could happen, right? In fact, that's what does happen to Frodo and Sam in the earliest drafts of the material that becomes the end of book four. Um, when Frodo and Sam are initially captured, Frodo, anyway, uh, is initially captured, he's taken to Minas Morgul, not to the Tower of Kirithungal, but to Minas Morgul, uh, because he's captured downstairs, not upstairs. Um, but, um, uh, but yeah, I, I definitely... Uh, it definitely seems that he's ex- wanting to eliminate that possibility, whether Gollum was taken there or not. Um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and yes, Tarlonio, I'm, I'm, I'm sure he's finally seizing this opportunity to uh, take that pleasure trip to the Black Gate that he's uh, always wanted to do, right? I, I hear the Morgul Vale is lovely this time of year. Um yeah, yeah. Um, and I wonder, Tony, Tony says it seems a, a, a bit desperate, like a last hope. That is possible, right? I mean, it, it's, you know, he admits, Tony, of course, that after that, right after this, he gives up. So this does seem to be his last resort. Um, <laughs> sorry, that would be a good subtitle, right? Morgul Vale, the last resort in so many ways. Um, yeah, yeah. Put that at the very end of your bucket list, Ambrosius. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely the last item on your bucket list. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, and Nancy, I agree. The deadly flowers, uh, the the reference to the flowers, right? Tread the deadly flowers of Morgulvale. By the way, I have always found that... Um, uh, that phrase to be very... Uh, disturbing, um, creepy, moving in some ways. Anyway, um, had he described something uh, horrible, right? Or like, you know, tread the like viscous slime of Morgulvale or like... Um, cut through the hideous webs of Morgul Vale or whatever, like, it could have been impressive, right? But there's nothing quite so um, eerie, right? The eeriness and the um, it speaks so clearly of corruption, right? There are flowers there, but they're deadly flowers, right? That even beauty itself is twisted in the Morgul Vale. Um, it's, uh, yeah, really, uh, really horrible. Rin Roos and Michael D are saying they always thought of the Wizard of Oz, uh, when they heard that part. Okay. I can, I can understand that association. Yeah. Tony also, I can understand that association. I don't think I had that association, but I can't be sure I didn't. Um, as I'm pretty sure I watched the Wizard of Oz before I read the Lord of the Rings. Pretty sure I did. Uh, 
definitely saw it at my grandparents' house when I was a kid, so pretty sure. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, um, okay. Is this, does this suggest that this is the time when he had a run-in with Nazgul? which he shudders to remember, literally shudders to remember at Bree. Um, that seems to me possible. Also, his reluctance to talk about it, right? Um, uh, JJ, exactly. Uh, this is where he gets his prosthetic wooden feet. Exactly. Not Strider, Trotter, the Hobbit. Uh whose character was replaced by Aragorn, but yeah, who had been tortured uh, by um, uh, by the Nazgul. And, uh, and I think there's a memory of it in Gollum's recollection. Gollum's tortured hands, I think, are the, the, the sort of uh, final memory of Trotter's tortured feet. Um... <laughs> no, Rothgar, I'm not suggesting he went back to look for his original feet. Um, but, uh, but yeah, now it is possible, Tony, that he's had more than one encounter. Uh, that's conceivable. I, uh, um, I don't know. I don't know. Um, but like being in and around Gondor, um, doesn't necessarily mean that you've tread the deadly flowers of Morgul Vale itself, right? I mean, <laughs> like, let's face it. You have to have a reason to go into the Morgul Vale, right? Prior to the downfall of Sauron. I mean, honestly, you need a reason after, too, but um, you need a really compelling reason to go into the Morgul Vale. Uh, and coming back, uh, Tony, to what you were suggesting before, it does suggest suggest a kind of desperation, Right, that um, he couldn't just give up. Give up. He knows how important it is uh, to find Gollum in order to try to understand what is it, what is the Ring of Power. But of course, the fact that he's searching the entrances to Mordor suggests the follow-up. Right, he's not just looking for abstract evidence of what the Ring is. He's looking for evidence that Gollum has been in. Right does Sauron know about the ring? So yeah, worth treading the deadly flowers of Morgul Vale for, uh, even though that's gonna, that's gonna mess you up. I myself kind of doubt that he had ever been there before this time. Because again, it's just, it's just not a thing you generally do. As Edith says, it's not like it's on the way to anything. Well, it is on the way to Barad-dur from that direction, right? There is a pass there, uh, which he obviously knows. I mean, uh, Aragorn obviously knows that that's an entrance into Mordor itself, I would think. Um, yeah, yeah. And I agree, Lupilia, um, that uh, it doesn't change the fact that Minas Morgul is their lair. Um, um, yes, Absolutely. I don't know that he has to be captured. I think it's unlikely he was captured by the Nazgul. Um, he maybe he, I mean he would have had to be captured and escape, and that seems. I don't think that that's what happened, right? But even just being there in Morgul Vale, um, being within the 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 
reach of the power of the Nazgul like that was an, I think is enough to explain uh, the shuddering fit that comes upon him in the prancing pony. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, well, I'm thinking about his travels at the end of his time as Thorongil too, Tony. But again, there uh, he was traveling down into the south. I mean, he was heading down to Harad, uh, and on uh, further south. I, I think that his. I still doubt Morgul Vale was on his agenda there. Again, it's even he is not just going to go there for funsies, you know, just like to explore. Um, I think so. Um, but anyway, okay. Um, good, good. Um, it is possible, Matt, that this was the end of the paths that Gandalf and Aragorn were planning to search together. Uh, it, that is definitely, definitely possible. Um, and Matt, I agree. Yeah, Matt Shaw, it, it is amazing that Gollum lived long enough to be questioned in Mordor, though doubtless he was taken straight there, right? Uh, you know, that he did not uh, um, just wander in, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Let's keep going. Um, I agree with, I forget who it was, Tony, I think maybe again, uh, had been saying that it's not so much Aragorn's skill as a tracker that leads him to Gollum, um, but Providence that leads him to Gollum. Um, and I certainly agree with that. In fact, I would even go so far as saying not only is it is that clear, right? Not only is it clear that uh, he, you know, it's not that he tracked Gollum down in the end. He gave up, right? Um, and then happened across his trail on the way home, right? Um, and he himself, he himself admits that, right? Um, and then by fortune, I came suddenly on what I sought, Um Aragorn seems to emphasize, I too despaired at last and I began my homeward journey, and then by fortune I came suddenly on what I sought. Um, he seems to set it up that way, really in order to like, not take any credit, essentially, or even to emphasize that it was Providence that led him. It is a mini-eucatastrophe, Sam, absolutely. Absolutely. Um... Yeah, so again, it's, and I, I think then by fortune I came suddenly upon what I sought. I think he's speaking in a, you know, in a code that everybody there can understand. Um, this is not quite the same as a prophetic dream, right? With a, uh, a poem in the, that begins in the imperative mood. Um, such as came to Faramir and to Boromir, but um, he's, I think, making it a, a, in its way a similar statement, right? I was, as soon as I stopped looking, I came across uh, by fortune. And, and this is a remarkable piece of luck uh, that he not only crosses Gollum's path, but right after Gollum had been by. Um, so, yeah, I think that Aragorn himself is not only not claiming credit, but that he's giving credit where it deserves and showing, like, yes, I was, uh, uh, Gollum was provided for me, 
right? Uh, not the other way around. Uh, no, yeah, the other way around, he was provided for Gollum, which definitely is not how Gollum would describe the event. Uh, absolutely. Um, yeah, Gilgonthar, I agree. The ramifications of that fortunate act changed the future of Middle-earth, and it only happens when Aragorn had given up the chase. Yeah, yeah. Um, absolutely. Um, yes. Now, Scudo is wondering, if he had not seen Gollum before, how did he know he'd found Gollum? Well, he didn't. What he said, you know, but he found what he was seeking. And what he was seeking was the marks of soft feet beside a muddy pool. He sees tracks, which are not the tracks of an orc, uh, which are not the tracks of a man, um, and which are consistent with the description of Gollum. Right, and pursues it, and of course confirms that it is, in fact, uh, uh, <laughs> Gollum. And as Fourth Tala says, Gollum has that useful self-labeling feature. Uh, it's true. If he says anything at all, you're likely to know who he is. Right? Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, exactly. Tony was thinking the same thing. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Exactly. Um, let's see. He also says, uh, I was not gentle. Karita, I wonder, I'm not saying that that statement is as much of an understatement as the he will never love me, I fear. Right. But I think there's some understatement in I was not gentle uh, also. Um, I... I think that Aragorn is is pretty firm uh, with Gollum. I think that I would suspect uh, that there are some beatings involved. Uh, Again, I think he would have had to. Gollum would come after him. If he couldn't escape, uh, Gollum would be like a cornered, rabid weasel or something, apparently. I mean... uh, uh, I mean, it, one of you was joking that Aragorn is lucky to have all of his fingers, but like, yeah, no joke. No joke. I mean, uh, he is. He is. I mean, a, a bite from guy. I mean, this is not like getting bitten by a two-year-old, which, by the way, can leave some nasty marks, I can tell you. Um, but um, uh, but it's, uh, I mean... I mean, this is Gollum is perfectly capable, as we will, as we all know, of biting somebody's digits off, right? Uh, so yeah, absolutely, bye bye, Ring of Bari here, says Valamoinen. Uh, exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I mean, it's uh, it's this is um, yeah, as, uh, as good as Sharon says, Gollum eats orcs for breakfast. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this is not a. Uh, this is not a like a you know. It's tempting to think of it in terms of. Um, uh, I mean, it, this is the kind of thing that would be really hard to depict on screen without making it just look like child abuse, right? Because of the physical, the difference in stature between the two of them, right? But it's that's not the situation here, right? Gollum is a strong deadly, fierce creature with sharp teeth and who is not afraid to use them. Um, and Evil Dr. Cannon, I agree, he's slimy too, which means, I think that's probably why Aragorn mentions it, not 
effect. I mean, it is a kind of a colorful detail. Um, but, uh, but I mean, imagine how hard to hold he would be. I mean, it's not like he can just, like, grab him firmly but gently, right? I mean, seriously, what is he meant to do? What can he do? How can he possibly capture Gollum without force? He couldn't possibly. How could he hold him? Without force, how could he restrain him without hurting him? I I, I don't think he could. Uh, I think that that you know grabbing him, uh, putting him in a very painful hold, and beating him into submission is the only way to get this done. Um, uh, Arden Crayon says it's harder to keep an enemy captive than it is to kill him. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> Tora Martin says inhibitions. What are those? Yeah. Yeah, no, seriously, Gollum would have no restraint in what he would be doing. Um, and he is strong and ferocious. And yeah, I mean, it's, um, um, yeah, JJ says it would be like trying to capture a wild wolf right, with your hands. You don't have a net or anything, right? And then hold it and then drag it along with you and don't let it bite you, right? I mean, it's, it's, um, yeah, yeah. So I don't, uh, I don't in any way, I would not judge Aragorn uh, for beating Gollum. I, I can't see how he has any, uh, how he has any, any alternative. Um, uh, and, uh, but I mean, it's, this is, uh, this is, <laughs> what a, I mean, in this week's, every day and every night for weeks trying to keep an eye on him and keeping him tied up and uh and then what like untying him at the feet you know, and like he's gonna bite you all the time you gotta he's gotta gag him just to keep his teeth off him at all times i mean yes and tony i certainly agree aragorn does not seem to reflect with any and with any um affection on the violence involved in this right i mean this is a this is a bad job all the way around right um but, um, yeah, yeah, um, it's, it's no, there's no question that this trip was a deeply unpleasant trip for absolutely everybody. Um, and, uh, yeah, um, it would Elvish rope be more anathema to Gollum than plain old Hobbit rope. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, how long would it take to reach Mirkwood? Oh man, Tony. Mirkwood. I mean, a while. They were boating for several days from Lorien down to the Ford. I don't remember the distances. Um, uh, I mean, I, I can't remember off the top of my head like how many miles it would be from the Dead Marshes. The Dead Marshes, not even Rauros, but the Dead Marshes, all the way up around the MMU, uh, the. Eminwheel, and then up around Lothlorien, right, and up into Mirkwood. 50 days or so, says Appendix B, that I can easily imagine. Yeah, I mean, month and a half? Month and a half of this. Every day, right? Um, unbelievable. And then, like, the, you know, taming him until uh, his until he was tamed by lack of drink and food, right? And that's the only when finally he was so desperate to eat and drink that he would agree to not bite him as soon as he took the gag off. And then what? Then you let him eat and drink. Oh, and I'm sure after that he was like the two of them got along, you know, uh, uh, no, no, they wouldn't. 
<laughs> he wouldn't, right? Um, he would he would have to go through the whole process of gagging him again, doubtless, right? Uh, yeah, I'm sure they came to a to a to a benevolent mutual understanding at that point, Sam. No, it's just like time to catch the greased pig again, uh, the biting pig, and tie it up. Um, my goodness. Uh, so yeah, it's just uh, it's just pretty horrible uh, to think about that. And yeah, as Tony says, Frodo wasn't with him that long. Yeah, Aragorn's trip with Gollum is the longest period of time that anybody ever spends with Gollum. Um, you know, since Diggle, that is. Um, uh, so, uh, so yeah, yeah. Um, interesting. Arden Crayon says, we've seen that Strider initially underestimated the Hobbits, so he may have underestimated Gollum as well. May have done. Yeah, Arden, I mean, I, I assume that's one of the reasons why he... Uh, um, when, when Aragorn says, uh, nothing more did I ever get from his mouth and the marks of his teeth, I assume he means that quite literally, that like he still to this day bears scars from when Gollum bit him. Uh, uh, I, I, I assume that that's, in fact, uh, what happened. He may well have, mis- uh, have, have underestimated uh, the ferocity, strength, will of Gollum. Yeah, yeah. Um, now again, yeah, and as Aslan's compass says, the hobbits would look softer. Yeah, he wouldn't underestimate them in the same way, right? Uh, Gollum certainly doesn't look like a, f- you know, a fainting flower or anything. Um, but that doesn't mean that uh, he might not have uh, uh, misunderstood him in some important ways. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Interesting. For Thoughtless says it's quite striking. If anything you'd expect his experience with Gollum would have prepared him better for the toughness of the hobbits. Perhaps, but that's only if he... Re- I'm not sure Aragorn really connects the two. Um, does he... Um, uh, does he really see that fully? You know, does he think of... And, and anyway, I would say... I don't know. I'm not sure... I'm not sure how much Aragorn necessarily processes that. Maybe he does. Um, yeah, Aslan's Cup, that's what I'm thinking. Does he even have that information? Does he stick around for Gandalf's interrogation? It sounds like he does. But Gandalf came and endured long speech with him. Um, which is not the same as saying, but then Gandalf came and I was the heck out of there. Right? I mean, boy, I did not stick around. I'm like, see you, Gandalf. Glad you're here. Bye now. Right? He didn't say anything like that. You know, he talks about Gandalf enduring long speech with him, so I assume that he came too. But I also assume that he did not stick around. I believe Aragorn to be wise enough to know that his presence at the interrogation session is unlikely to facilitate... He's already already cast himself as bad cop, right? And so he's going to let Gandalf play good cop, which, of course, as we know, doesn't pan out. Um, Yeah, yeah. Um... Exactly. And Turambar, I agree. Gollum has spent some 500 years roaming the Misty Mountains. Who knows what, uh, how that's changed him. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that the... It is one thing to say that Gollum was originally connected to Hobbit kind. Um, I think it's easy... It's, it's possible. Let me, let me put it that way. I think it's possible to 
overemphasize the connections there. Um, again, I'm not saying that there are no connections, and I'm not saying that it's not important. It is thematically important, um, especially once we get to book four. It will become uh, quite important. But I'm not sure how literally important it is. That is, there are several ways in which Gollum and the Hobbits of the Shire, even if they sort of share common ancestry, are pretty far apart from each other now, right? Um, so again, I think, it, I think it is possible to overdo the sense of the connections there. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, good. Uh, Tony points out that he also needs to get back to Eriador. He has to watch over the Shire. Yeah, he's been gone for a while, so you know I don't know how long he sticks around. Um, uh, of course, he will have had time since then to learn that Gandalf endured long speech with him. So, uh, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that he stuck around the whole time. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, okay. Um, I brought him there at last and gave him to the elves, for we had agreed that this should be done. So he and Gandalf had agreed that Gollum would be brought back to the elves of Mirkwood. Which is interesting. Um... Yeah, Renrus, that's exactly the question that I find interesting. Um, why Mirkwood and not Lothlorien? Lothlorien is closer, right? Um, you'd think they'd be at least as capable of taking care of him there. Um, uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> we know Mirkwood has dungeons. Yes, I agree. I agree. Um, uh, so... Uh, Maybe that's it, right? You know, they've got these useful cells uh, that they could put him in. Um, I don't know. I mean, we know that Gollum has some particular issues, particular issues with Lothlorien. Um, but I don't know that they have any reason, Gandalf and Aragorn have any reason to suspect that. Like the kind of reaction Gollum has when the elf rope is tied around him. Would Aragorn and Gandalf know that that was going to happen? I, it's hard to imagine that they would allow that. Uh, or that they would know that, rather. Sorry. Um, <laughs> Evil Dr. Cannon says, because Tolkien hadn't thought of Lothlorien when he wrote this. More plausible. Definitely more plausible. Uh, yeah, yeah, Sharon was asking the same thing. Um, uh, no, no, it wasn't. Um, but again, that's this is changeable, right? Uh, that's a that's a changeable situation. Uh, I know if he changed it, right? If he made Gollum imprisoned in Lothlorien retroactively, then it would. Eliminate Legolas's one contribution to the council, <laughs> right? Um, but um, yeah, yeah. Um, it's 
Several of you were talking about the borders of Lorien being closed and not allowing Gollum in, and, but that, it's not the question. It's not the, que- the question isn't would they allow Gollum in, like would they, would they let him wander in? No, they wouldn't let him wander in. Um, the question, rather, is would they let Aragorn in with a prisoner? And I think yes. I think they would. If Aragorn came and he's like, I've got this prisoner, he's kind of a jerk, watch out, he bites, sorry he smells bad, can you help me hang on to him? Um, is there a lonely flat that you can tie him on or whatever, I don't know. Um, then uh, like, would they let him in? Yeah. Do I see them turning Aragorn back at the border? No, I don't see that happening. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. Um It seems, rather, the elves of Mirkwood have been involved in this story, that is, the Gollum story and the hunt for Gollum story, from the beginning. Um, Yeah, I think... He doesn't want to irritate his future in-laws by dumping Gollum on them. Uh, there you go. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Sam is thinking the same thing. Um, Thranduil has an outstanding warrant. Exactly. 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 Marielle was wondering if it was agreed between Aragorn and Gandalf alone, or is it agreed between Aragorn, Gandalf, and the Elven King? Because they did go there first, searching for Gollum and tracking him. Yeah, Marielle, I like that best. Remember that this adventure started in Mirkwood, right? And presumably with the Elves' help, the Elves of Mirkwood were presumably helping them during the Mirkwood phase uh, of the search for Gollum as they were trying to figure out where he went and what happened to him. Um, so, in the interest of kind of closing the loop, let's bring him back so that the elves can know that we've found him, right? And they've already agreed to help with Gollum so they can... Um, uh, yeah. He's also... <laughs> I'm going to be careful saying this because this could come out wrong. Um, But he's also sort of their responsibility. Or like in their jurisdiction, uh, WKU, as you say. Yeah. I don't just mean because like they have a right to imprison him just because he used to live near Mirkwood. But rather, he stayed in Mirkwood. He committed crimes in Mirkwood. Right? I mean, he was a legitimate evil of the forest of Mirkwood while he was there. Um... And so, I mean, he has, um, yeah, Matt Shaw was just thinking the same thing. Gollum has made himself wanted for his Mirkwood crimes. That's exactly what I'm thinking. Um, If anybody has a kind of right to hold Gollum in prison, Thranduil's got a claim, right? Um, 
Yeah. I'm less worried. I, several people have been talking about the damage that he could do, like that, you know, by bringing him to Lothlorien and you're kind of bringing a stain upon Lorien. I don't think so. I don't think that Gollum's, the, the presence of one deeply unhappy and spiritually corrupted and physically warped and unpleasant and modestly malodorous small person into Lothlorien is going to really be a difference maker uh, when it comes to the sort of spiritual purity of the place. Um, I think Galadriel's got that. I think that Galadriel can overcome any influence of Gollum as readily as the wonderful smells of Lothlorien could probably drown out Gollum's stench. Um, uh, yeah. Um, she, she is modestly stain-resistant to Aramarth, and I agree. Um, but uh, but what makes more sense to me is, again, to kind of close the judicial loop, right? Um, what are they going to do afterwards with Gollum? Aragorn and Gandalf. What are they going to do with him afterwards? They're going to interrogate him, right? Uh, because they uh, um, they need to know about where he got his ring. But what about then? Right? What? What? What do they let him go? They kill him. We know Gandalf's not a fan of that, right? Um, well, they're not going to just want to let him go either, though. So what do they do? Turn him over to the authorities. The authorities who have uh, a judicial claim on him, right? Uh, because he has committed heinous crimes in Thranduil's kingdom, right? Um, the fact, Sam, that it's a further proximity to Mordor can't hurt but again, I don't think it can be just a proximity thing. Lothlorien is also a fair bit from Mordor. And again, in my mind, the security of having him under Goadriel's care would seem to kind of overrule that, right? Um, that is, the additional miles between Lothlorien and Mirkwood seem to me to be less important uh, than the security of the borders, comparative security of the borders. But but again, I, it if we think it through in the sense of what's the long-term plan with Gollum, right? And it's clear, Mariel, as you say, life without possibility of parole, right? But who could do that and why? Thranduil can do that, has the right to do that, um, and has the willingness to do it uh, because Gollum has committed crimes worthy of death within Mirkwood himself. Um, uh, so, yeah, yeah, I, I I don't know. I mean, was there never going to be any chance of parole, right? Was there, you know, did everybody, Aragorn, Gandalf, Thranduil, and everybody all agree uh, that Gollum must be imprisoned for life, no matter what? Well, I don't know that it matters, but clearly he should be in prison until uh, until either Sauron is overthrown or Sauron conquers us, one or the other. Uh, and, you know, 
that's going to be long before Gollum would get off for good behavior anyway. Um, yeah, yeah, I think um, I think that's true. And Sam, this also does contextualize the way that the elves treated him, right? Um, as you say, they they did treat him rather nicely, right? And Tony, you're right that Gandalf still hoped for a cure, or rather thought that it might be possible for him to be cured. And I wonder if that's not another reason that he wanted to leave him with the elves, because it would be better for him. Um, The best case scenario for Gollum, leaving him on his own is not the best case scenario. The best case scenario for Gollum is leave him with the elves, let him live with the elves and see if they can help to affect the cure. And Sam, again, coming back to your point about how gently the elves treated him, I think that we can see some evidence, perhaps, that they were not, they did not see their role as merely punitive, right? They were not just his jailers. They were not just his punishers. Um, I think it's quite possible that they saw themselves in an actively rehabilitatory position in relationship with Gollum, which, of course, is what led to the disaster. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah, um... Yeah, Fort Thoughtless says, is there any evidence that Gollum can still die a natural death? He hasn't had the ring for nearly 80 years, but he apparently hasn't aged significantly. We have no idea when or if Gollum would die of old age naturally. Um, yeah, no idea. Um, yeah. Lupilia points out that there is, of course, a defense for treating Gollum better than the dwarves anyway, is that the dwarves who also, let's admit, their imprisonment wasn't that long. I mean, it was not indefinite. Um, And they were still stonewalling the Elven King and wouldn't tell him anything. Whereas, as Lupilia points out, Gollum had already given out, given all the information, right? Um, But, um, anyway. Yes, Turambar, technically burning in a volcano is a natural death. (laughs) That's true. That's true. Uh... Uh, but I think it's not what was meant there. Um, uh, <laughs> anyway, okay. Uh, good. It is a death by natural causes, in a sense. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Gandalf came and endured long speech with him. I like that final comment by Aragorn. Um, notice that the comment that he makes... Um, oh, so hang on a second. Uh, Cecilia was asking, uh, spe- speaking of rope, how did the elves of Mirkwood control him without the use of rope if Aragorn couldn't? Um they have something that Aragorn doesn't have a prison cell, (laughs) right? I mean, they can, uh, remember they don't have the issues that Aragorn had with feeding and watering Gollum. The elves can treat him much more humanely, right? They can let him loose in the cell and they can put food and water in there so that he has plenty of food and water, right? And they don't have to worry that as soon as they try to let him drink, he's going to bite them. Because he's on the other side of the bars, right? So, um, uh, that's, um, yeah, that's, that's, I think, 
they have a lot more, uh, you know, do they, does it mean they don't use rope? I bet they do. Um, when they took him outside, um, they let him climb up the tree, but they had to get him to the tree. And I bet they tied him up when they did so. Uh, we're not told that explicitly, but again, I, I think it's, uh, I don't think, I like to think that the elves of Mirkwood were not merely completely suckers. Um, uh, and as Fourth Dauntless says, it's not like they did completely control him. I mean, he did, in fact, escape. Um, uh, yeah. Now, Veronica, he can't eat Lumbus, but there would be plenty of other things that they would have to feed him. In fact, I can't imagine them feeding him Lumbus, in fact. Um, Lembus is pretty special. You give away Lembus uh, to eat under special circumstances, right? Uh, it's a it's an important gift, and not everybody gets it. Um, not even everybody who like might kind of need it or want it gets it. Uh, so they certainly wouldn't just like randomly feed it as rations to a prisoner. Um, but um, uh, but yeah, yeah. So they they would have plenty of. Uh, um, good, solid food uh, that they could give to uh, to Gollum there. Um, and yes, it's true that only queens give it out. Um, <laughs> sorry. I uh, attempted to say, are we sure there's no queen in Mirkwood? I mean, <laughs> she's not mentioned, but that doesn't mean anything. Um, yeah, no, it's... Uh, and, and in addition, Praise, you're absolutely right, in addition to its being special food, it's also trail food. Um, so even... It's unlikely that the elves even eat uh, uh, Lembus, like, sitting around, um, even on, you know, special occasions or something like that. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yep, exactly. Um... And as Michael points out, we know from the barrels that they have plenty of other foods. Yep, apples, butter, yeah, all the good stuff. Um, exactly. Wine, yes, yes. <laughs> More wine, as Angrist says. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, uh, but anyway, the thing that I... Thing, uh, getting back to the other thing that I, um, that I liked about the final turn of phrase there from Aragorn um, is uh, Gandalf came and endured long speech with him. He could end by complimenting Gandalf on his persistence, ingenuity, right? I couldn't get anything out of Gollum at all, right? He wouldn't tell me anything. Doubtless Aragorn tried, right? I'm sure it occurred to him at some point in the month and a half that Aragorn was traveling with Gollum to try to get some information out of him, right? It's not like he had a whole lot else to do with his time during that month and a half. So probably he tried to strike up a, a conversation on one or two occasions, uh, tried to ask pertinent questions uh, in order to find out some information so that whenever he finally did get Gollum to Mirkwood, he could just hand him over and say, would you incarcerate this guy, please? Um, I've already gotten all the information that we need. Um, but uh, he never gets anything from his mouth but the marks of his teeth. So he could turn and be like, Gandalf, by contrast, was, oh man, like he was really good. He got, he got Gollum to talk right away. Um, but he doesn't answer that. Right. He doesn't say it that, that way. Instead, he says, Gandalf came and endured 
long speech with him, right? What he praises Gandalf for is not successfully drawing the information from him. He praises him for putting up with Gollum's speech, right? Um, which I think is interesting. Um, Gandalf came and endured long speech with him. Uh, remember, Gandalf himself admitted that the enduring of long speech was not trivial, right? He called it wearisome, right? Um, remember when he gave a sample of Gollum's talk and says to Frodo, I don't imagine you want any more of it, uh, but then said that he had to, uh, he had many weary days of it, by contrast. Um, uh, and I agree, Matt. Nothing more did I ever get from him does imply that he tried. Absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, exactly, Sam. You have to sift his words. So he, this is when he was doing all of this, uh, all of this, all of this sifting. Um, yeah, Fort Thoughtless says, I'm now thinking of Gollum uh, being like a serial killer. He can't help talking about himself, but it's hard to sift out the true bits. Yeah, well, serial killer... Yes, sure. If the shoe fits, <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, uh huh, uh huh. Um, and with the sifting of the words, yes, yes. Um, yeah, Mike, I agree. That one word endured uh, says something about Gandalf, something about Gollum, and something about Aragorn. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, uh, yeah, it can. It's a very. That, I, I find that a very evocative. Uh, uh, rhetorical choice uh, on Aragorn's uh, part there. Yeah, very good. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> you guys all recognize my should I go on to the next slide phase? Um, it's a short one. So that's one argument in favor. Um, nah, no, not going to do it. Not going to do it. Um, I know that you could endure many hours, but uh, no, no, it's getting too late. And so I, I, so I was just looking ahead. And I'm like, yeah, no, there are several things I want to talk about here. So, no, we'll save this. But we will do... Uh, my goal next week is to do two entire slides. See, the key to doing more slides per class is to make shorter slides, <laughs> clearly. Uh, yeah, yeah. But you're right, Matt. We did officially reach this slide, even though we didn't actually talk about that. Um, yep, Exactly. Shorter slides with bigger font, and we get through more slides per class, and I feel like we're going faster. There we go. Um, all right, all right. We will we will stop here, and we'll come back to this. Uh, we'll come back to this uh, next week. Wait, pausing to make sure that's true. Yes, it is true. Next week. Um, that's right. We have class straight through until the like eighteenth of August or whatever the Tuesday is of that week. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we'll be we'll be straight through. Next Tuesday will be right before the beginning of Mythmoot. So exciting. Okay. 
thanks everybody. So I'm going to say goodbye to the folks on Twitter and uh, everyone else is welcome to uh, join me. Everyone, indeed, including the people on Twitter, are welcome to join me on Twitch, twitch.tv slash SignumU uh, for our field trip tonight. So thanks everybody. And we are switching over. Okay. Okay, now, unfortunately, um, Valoria is sick again, sort of again, sort of still. Um, so, uh, I'm not going to have Valoria with me today, but we're going to head back to the rift. Um, so, let's see if we can meet up at the, let's meet at the stable master at the rift. Because I'm going to, I'm going to port to Gathforthnir and then stable my way over there, I think. Okay. All right. Hang on. Let me expand things here. Yes. Uh, poor Valori needs some needs some athalas. Uh, she had a sinus infection, which became a like a lung infection. Okay, moved down uh, and became a respiratory infection. So um, she's still not uh, able to join us, unfortunately. Um, okay. Oh, so uh, uh, Bricktails, the Rift. It's a place in uh, in in Angmar uh, in the game. It's a very interesting greeting. So. This dates back, of course, from the... T- oh, wait, hang on. I can't go from here? Rats! Or is this it? Eurolens camp. It is Eurolens camp, okay. Okay. Alright. Making me worried there for a second. Um, it's a, So, this, this dates from the time when... Um, uh, this was the end game. Like so, when the when Lotro was first released, uh, th- all of this stuff, the stuff up here in Angmar was like was 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 the end game material, and um, so this was one of the like last big raids that uh, could happen in the game, uh, and so they invented this thing, and there's no hint of anything like this in the book, of course. Um, but this is one of the places uh, in Lotro where they have um, done what I think is a really fascinating kind of subspecies of um, of adaptation. Um, where you're not adapting something that's directly from the book, but you are inventing a story and sort of fitting it to the kind of thing uh, that happens uh, in the uh, in in the book, and yes, Mariel Chris Pearson did say that he had to veto a horrifying story idea uh, originally here. Yes, um, yes. In fact, Mariel, as I'm recalling, this is the one where Chris Pearson said that he actually had to threaten to he had to threaten to set someone's desk on fire uh, <laughs> in order to prevent uh, uh, the... And what he was attempting to prevent uh, was the was a love story uh, between an elf and a Balrog. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
Yes. Anyway, um, so, but like I said, I, I'm really interested. So the idea here, um, as we learn, well, wait a second. Let's hang on and um, I, we'll talk about the in-game story here later. I want to finish what we... I want to finish what we started doing last time, and that is looking around without thinking about the story and just seeing what we can learn from uh, from stuff. So let's look at this tower here, which I, we I entered in order to find the stable master last time. I didn't really look at. Uh, we have banners. Got the seven pointed stars. But they're pointed upright. They're pointed up. Exactly. That's the problem. They're not Numenorean stars. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't see upward pointing seven pointed stars elsewhere, because we do, even on some ruins. Um,. But it's still interesting. And notice also they are only on the banners. We don't get any stars that I can see in the stonework itself. As was, of course, as you all remember, so common. We would have gotten some in the keystone of the arch there, right? Or maybe the little uh, scepter of a numinous thing. Um, we would have gotten them probably around the, uh, on the edge if we hadn't got the Oyelose. Um... The Cardolan Ruins, uh, Ketrana, absolutely, yes. Uh, that had, had the upward-pointing star. Um, yes, exactly. But yeah, I'm not seeing... The only thing that we see is the, the sort of gilt um, border there. That sort of uh, leafy border, which looks very elvish. And we were seeing that around the other uh, sort of pediments and things that we've been seeing around the rift. Um, so this looks like elvish construction as well. Nothing like as... Oh, what is this? Oh, he's the burglar trader. So he's looking burglarious in order to advertise his wares. That seems a little bit counterintuitive. But anyway... Um, Yeah. Yeah, JJ, you're right. The blade that we saw had a four-pointed star in it. That was the only... Yeah, the only other star we've seen in stonework. Yeah, wait, there's one. I'm trying to see if I can get around far enough to see the front of it. Uh, barely, yeah, right there, right in the, right in the middle of the the guard of the sword there. Um, yes, that sort of four pointed star. And there's one on the ground also. I can see the one on the ground. Oh, the sword on the ground. Down further. Yeah. Um. Wait, hang on a second. This is 
above where we came down, right? Those are the orc camps that we saw. That's the path down? Where we first entered? The area? I think so. Right? That's what that yeah, is. the path to the west is the way we came in. Yeah, that is the way we came in. Okay. All right. Um, yes. Right. Okay. I'm seeing straight ahead here is the steep path with those first stone pediments that we saw, but if there was something broken off on top of them, maybe from here, looks like perhaps it was even an archway, but right. And then there's these, the orc camps with the orcs with the bright red eyes and the hillmen, some of whom looked intimidated and some of whom didn't. And then right again, more of those pillars or monoliths, whatever they or statue pediments or whatever um, that we saw along the way and then up in I was at first struck by this wall which at first I thought which, I, which at first looked like brickwork like there was a, a large wall there but I think it's not I think it's just striations in the rock yeah yeah from here we can see that more clearly okay yeah, quarrying was my first thought. Did they quarry this? But I don't think so, because again, you can see the the horizontal white lines running through it down here. So I think it's just an illusion of the fact that you've got those same uh, sort of natural striations, strata in the rock. Yeah, um, as it's uh, as it's on a flat face. The fact that it's on a flat face makes it look like it was quarried. That's Nancy. Just what I was wondering if we would see evidence of, but I don't think so. I don't think so. Okay. Right. Oh, and there's that, uh, yeah, you can see up there that like lavender boundary, right? Border there. Yep. Okay. All right. So that's, this is just the same kind of stonework. In other words, that we've been seeing from the beginning, a couple guys bearing quests. Is it a dwarf? Is a dwarf. Huh? Jonesy. I wonder what Jonesy's doing up here. Okay. And uh, there's Yorillin. Alright. Um, okay. Right from here we can look down on the seal, which hmm Which looks like a stenciled decoration I might find in my grandmother's house, to be perfectly honest. Like the little <laughs> lavender flowers, right? Doesn't it look like it is like a pattern that yeah. might be made into a doily, maybe? A Victorian doily, maybe. <laughs> JJ says it, it re re reminds him of the back of a hand mirror. Yeah, it's... Odd. Slightly odd. Um, it's missing a giant tea set. Exactly right. Yes, a, a couple, a couple teacups and a charming little teapot would go would, would would look exactly right sitting on that thing. Um, and yes, Marielle, that's just what I'm thinking. It doesn't exactly scream runes of power. Um, no, no, it does not. Um, there are. We can see the. 
um, the lateral symmetry, but it's not symmetrical. It's definitely oriented in one direction. It's not, um, it's not symmetrical in each way, only just in the one way. So, in other words, it clearly has a top and bottom. Um, do we think... Do we think that each one of those pediments there had one of those swords sticking up from it? Hrothgar, I don't remember seeing those flowers before. Like, in that charming lilac color, I don't remember that. Yeah. Mario, I'm trying to think. Is it... Is it eastward? Hang on. It's going this way, right? Like, essentially? Right? Yeah, it's eastward. It is eastward. Or I guess it could be westward, if that's the top. But it doesn't look like the top, does it? Maybe it is. Yes, maybe the eastern end, the one on the right-hand side of the screen, is the bottom and the other side is the top. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think you're right. I think you're right. In which case, it is facing west, which does sort of make more sense. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Pontine thinks that this design is unique, to the rift, which is almost a shame because it's it's really a, a lovely floral pattern, and I think it would be excellent on china. Um, I, I think my I think that my wife would quite appreciate a tea set in this pattern. Um, uh, wouldn't it be awesome to have a tea set, a china tea set with like you know a lavender floral pattern? You know, called the called the Balrog's prison or something like that. Um, it would make nice wallpaper, Emma Thorne. You're right. You're right. Uh, for like a particular kind of Victorian sitting room or something. Um, but uh, but anyway, okay. So yeah, I was asking before. Do we think that each one of these pediments uh, had one of those sword things? And on the one hand, we do get at least one fallen over and broken sword here, which suggests, which proves there was more than the one, right? And yet those columns there don't look the same as the base over here. So they were clearly not identical. Um, uh, they were clearly not identical to that. And since this is at the top of the you know, spatially oriented design on the western side, it would make sense for that to be... for it not to fit, right? For them not all to be the same. Uh, how many are there? Seven, yeah, right? One, two, three, yeah. Three on each side. One, two, three, yeah. Uh, and I don't think there's anything down there. I don't think there's an eighth. So yeah, I think it's... there's seven pillars with... This, but so where did that sword, broken off sword bit, um, 
I mean, is there a broken off one on the eastern side? Yeah, there is. Is there down here? So there were eight? Mm -hmm. Okay. Are we sure those aren't just the pointy, spiky bits? Yeah, there, I believe when I uh, looked at it last week, there were actual design elements of that main sword. It's just very broken down. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, we'll have to we'll have to take a look. Um, these pillars look like just columns. I could easily imagine as. Um, uh, somebody was suggesting who was suggesting this um, uh, I don't remember um, but anyway somebody was suggesting that um, it, it could well have been like arches covering over but you'd think there'd be more evidence of arches but then again there isn't always that much remaining evidence of collapsed arches and things, as one would think. The stones don't always just hang around. Um, hmm. Alright, we'll have to look down there. So if it's one of each of the eight cardinal points of the compass, are these ones in the middle? I guess they are. The middle one. I mean, is that really at exactly 90 degrees to the sword? I guess it is. I guess it is. No, Aranas, I'm not seeing you. I think we're too far away to resolve characters down that far. We can see the landscape. We can't really see the characters down there. Um, okay. Other things to observe from above. We'll come down in a second and join you on us. Um, other things to observe from above. The crack, right? The crack that goes through the, uh, China plate is, extends into the ground, right? Um, that is, it looks like I mean, there seems to be a roughly matching and therefore presumably roughly contemporaneous uh, chasm there, right in the ground. Um, which presumably is the... See, it's hard because... I can't absolutely forget what this place is, right? I know that this, you know, China disc that we're looking at uh, is the seal of the prison uh, of a Balrog. Um, but I kind of wish I could forget that. Because I... No, I'm sure... I was going to say I don't think, um, but no, I am positive I would never have guessed that. If you just brought me here without telling me anything before I played the game and I was looking down and trying to guess what did that used to be, 
I'd have guessed a lot of things. I do not think I would have guessed Balrog Prison. Probably the lilacs would have thrown me off by themselves, honestly. Um, it just <laughs> does not look like uh, a prison. A dance floor, Aranas, yes. That I could have gone with. Absolutely. I might have guessed that. Um, yeah. Interesting. Angris says if you put the the west at the top, it kind of looks reminiscent of the door to Moria. A little bit. You know, the mere fact, Angris, that it does have that um, lateral symmetry, right, does suggest a pair of doors that could open and that are closed, right? So it has, like, the vaguest of suggestions that it's like doors that are closed. But honestly, no, I never would have guessed that. Never would have guessed that. Um, an amphitheater, Hrothgar? It looked, yeah, that I could have seen. Uh, I'm not sure I would have gone with amphitheater because there's not enough seating, right? But, uh, you know, I mean, you could seat people along the path winding up, but that's not really good. Um, uh, Fireswans suggest that maybe somebody took the sign, caution Balrog. Yes, yes, um, that would have been one of the more sensible things to inscribe on the disc, perhaps. Um, but, um, yeah, no, it's not Angmar in Stonehenge, Angrist, because, uh, uh, it's, it's Elvish, right? I mean, uh, we've seen Stonehenge things. Um, even in Angmar, right? I mean, we've seen evidence of the... Uh, uh, we've seen evidence of the ancient monolithic constructions of the the most ancient people who still have any... Um, uh, you know, of whom the uh, the valley still obviously retains memories, right? And those are in the Imlad Balhorth. Um, and, uh, but this is obviously not that. Um, so JJ the fact that the sword is not quite centered is really bothering him and Aranos says it's just to annoy the OCD among us I think that's meant to be a deliberate reflection of the fact that it's broken my suspicion is that when the seal was closed when the circle was complete and before that crack opened up in the ground it was in the very middle. I have to think that. I have to think that or I'll go mad. No, I, that's my suspicion. Um, yeah. Right, Rothgar, it does look a little bit like a heliopad, so conceivably it could be a landing pad, but of course, as you say, obviously, not for Balrogs. If it were for, if it were for Balrogs. Now, though, being under as handy a cliffside as this... It could be, you could be intended uh, to hurl Balrogs off of this cliff, and cliff, and so it could be a, like a sort of target, right? Hurl Balrogs in this direction. Um, but, um, uh, but it's a little far out. You'd have to really loft them quite a bit. Um, and I don't know how much heft you could really get under a Balrog. I mean, just getting it to topple over the edge seems like challenge enough, you know, um, to actually get any air under the Balrog 
when you chuck it out, I think would uh, uh, probably be more than is reasonable to ask. Uh, I think, yeah. Um, <laughs> Edith says, and if you thought Gollum was tough to wrangle, exactly, exactly. So we're gonna call this one Yeeting Balrogs. <laughs> Yeeting Balrogs, exactly. Yeah, Ye- Yeet Balrog here, exactly. Yep. Uh, and no, Balrogs uh, do not bounce. I think that's uh, a, a plainly, if not explicitly, attested uh, in the documents. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, okay, let's go down and see what we can make of these ruins again closer down now that we've seen. Oh, we've got to go through. We can't go around that way. Anything else we can see through? What's this? What's this stripey thing? Roof? What's an ember eagle? Is that somebody's pet? Is it just hanging here? It's the lore master's pet. Really? Yeah, the lore master trader's right here. Well, yeah, but... I've played a lore master, and I didn't get an ember eagle. You didn't get to the right books, then. Uh, fair enough. Anyway, sorry. Um, before I was distracted by the ember eagle, again, I was looking at this stripy piece of stone here and looking for... Because I didn't see anything that really matched that in the standing architecture. That we see another part of it here. I wonder if that suggests... And notice how it's got... It's curved, and it's got the gold border below it. I wonder if that suggests that there that's what, like, maybe the vaulting of the ceiling was meant to be? Um, it looks like a piece of the... Uh, if you look toward the uh, arch, toward the top of the arch, it's the same pattern there. It's not exactly the same. Well, a little bit, like a thick black stripe and a thinner black stripe. No, but they don't even have the gold along there. No. Well, not the arch itself, but the border around the arch that's going around the circumference of the of the tower. Oh, oh, oh! That border, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. The, the main border, yeah, yeah, sure. But, but the point is, these are curved, and like the tower. Well, yeah, but they're not curved in that direction. They're curved this way, like archy-wise, not the mere concavity of the tower. Uh, If so, when separated, those lines would be on the... I don't think so. I don't think so. It's besides... True, because you can see a, a cut section of that pattern on the side of the wall, and it's definitely... Just plain stone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, and here we have a right. We have a buttress here. I'm wondering about the, the a flying buttress, but inside. Normally, they fly on the outside of buildings. Often, yes, that is certainly true. I don't know what the plan was with this or why it was here. And there's no flying buttress on the other side of the, the tower here. Okay, see, I'm thinking it's not a buttress. I, th- I think it's a, I think it's a, I think it's a partition. 
if you look at the side of it here, it just mm-hmm. looks like a it just looks like a partition with an internal arch, right here. So that it was uh, this used to be just like a, a an archway that led from one exactly Amethorn. a partition. That's what I'm going with here. I think this was this this used to be a partition inside the tower, which extended over to here behind the Runekeeper trader dude. Right, and so this tower was divided into two rooms, essentially two sort of half-moon rooms, um, which communicated by this arch over here. That's what I'm thinking. That's what I'm thinking. Um, Which is interesting in itself. I don't remember seeing a tower, like a rounded tower like this with a partition in it before. But it's a pretty big one, though. The tower, I mean. The diameter of this tower is wider than... Like, I'm thinking, for instance, of the the round, ruinous towers in Eregion, for instance, which are very, very much smaller than this. Um, Yeah. Okay, sorry. Distracted by stripy rocks and other various things. And here's another one of those swords. Oh, right, this is JJ, the one you were pointing to that was lying on the ground nearby. Yes, yes, definitely. Definitely looks more like a sword here than a spear, that's for sure. Yeah, I'm thinking sword. Um, It's not that, I mean, the the shape certainly could be a spearhead, but I think the haft is never long enough. I I think it's more hilt than haft, but of course, when you're up this close, the resolution kind of fails one. I like the texturing in the four-pointed star. I'm trying to figure if there's the... what the other... It looks it looks asymmetrical. And I'm trying to figure out to what extent... No, it is asymmetrical. It's not a star at all. There's a white and a black part, which I thought was just actual shadow, but it's not shadow. It's a figure with a top and a bottom. Looks like a white tower at the top and a black mountain at the bottom? Or black sails? Triangular sails on a ship? But it's definitely not... There's definitely no attempt at symmetry here. The tower has the pointy bits at the top. I. It's not crenellation. So. It's not crenellation. It's... Now, it looks a little bit like the tower, like a numinous tower tops. Just slightly... So I'm looking at JJ at the four-pointed star on the uh, sort of guard of the sword here. Because it's not a four-pointed star. It's a dual image, black and white, in near symmetry, but not quite symmetry. They could be merely... Yeah, I thought they looked symmetrical, too, from a distance. But now that I found this one over here, 
No matter how close I get, the resolution is really bad when you're close up. But it's definitely not symmetrical. Now you're seeing wizard hats, Amethorn. Well, yeah, the one on the bottom looks kind of like a black wizard's hat, but it's got that line, vertical white line down the middle. Yeah, the four bumps, Nancy, are what I was first looking at, right? You've got the four bumps, two on either side of the top and bottom points there, right? Well, I guess two on either side of the sideways points as well. Um, that was the very first thing that made... Ooh, sorry. Uh, that was the first thing that made me look twice at it, actually, Nancy, was trying to figure out what the bumps were. But... Remember the bumps in the archway leading into the rift, that that unstylish, that very yes, functional... Yes, the unstylish, the, 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 yeah. the ones that look like rivets. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yes. But those were rounder than this. And anyway, these are, this is, it's part of a it's part of a decoration. I mean, it's part of a... This is a... work of decorative art. Well... Huh. So we know the white part is the top and the black part is the bottom. That is, we know what the direction of this is, clearly, because it's normally standing upright, right? Um, with the blade pointed upwards. So we know the white, the white point is the... the white half is the top and the black part is the bottom. Hmm. Edith says you can almost see an arrow in the white bit. See, I was wondering about the tree, too, Edith. My... Because it does look like it almost branches out enough at the top to suggest a tree. But yeah, no, the proportions are different. I get notice how on the black half and the black half of it, you just get the one single vertical line down the middle, whereas the white part has this like boxy bit here, right? This rectangular overlay there in the middle. And that's what makes me think tower more than tree because of the way it has that if it were just sort of like a narrow bowl, which spread out more like that. I would definitely be thinking more more tree. Um, kind of reminds me of the pier in Minas Tirith. The, the pier, did you say? Yeah, kind of how, you know, Minas Tirith, you know, dives into to the pier and mm-hmm. then branches out on either side. Yeah, yeah, possibly. I... I mean, White Towers, I'm kind of thinking... I mean, it's hard not to think of Minas Tirith in that thing. Um, Aranas, I agree that it looks like a dominant spire with secondary spires. I can definitely agree with that. Though there's there's angled things as well, which... But I don't think it's a tree. I mean, if it's a tree, it's cut off, right? I mean, it's like it's not... The whole tree isn't in the picture there, which would seem odd, I think. Um... Uh, but yeah okay 
All right. This, here's my interpretation of this. I'm going to go with abstract interpretation here rather than representational art. That is, rather than thinking it's depicting a particular tower or something like that we're supposed to recognize, I'm thinking symbolism here. Um, And I'm thinking symbolism related to the function, related to the... Especially since we saw that one of these swords was standing upright at the western tip which was the top tip um, of the uh, um, which was the top tip of the uh, of the disc right of the seal disc JJ looking at your screenshot that you just posted I can I can still see it in your image there notice the crowning bits up at the top whereas the bottom has a very clean and sharp triangular point that comes down and there's no similar triangular point at the top they are I think designed to be nearly it's near symmetry, but it is not exactly symmetrical. Um, in fact, not only um, not only does it not have even the shape isn't exactly the same. That is the bottom part has sort of shallow shoulders and then the uh you know the 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 triangle sort of shark tooth um triangle there but the shoulders on the white part on the top go in further and then upwards more sharply the shapes aren't even the same even apart from the bits at the top and the bits at the bottom um it's the shape doesn't look the same. Hmm. Back to my allegorical interpretation. The one thing that is perfectly clear, whatever the shape is here, the one thing that is perfectly clear is that um, the black and white symmetry or near symmetry is clearly deliberate. And that certainly seems conspicuous under the circumstances. If we are talking about a place where the... Hey, kite's in the way! One side, kite. Um... Uh, thanks. <laughs> I don't object to guys in general, but sorry, I was just happy to be blocking the path there. Um, anyway, uh, the it's very conspicuous that that would happen in a place where the Balrog is concealed underground. So you've got the darkness, right? Uh, the shadow and flame uh, contained below the ground. So the the horizontal line where the black and the white meet, right, would be like the disc. Like that is the the boundary, right, between white. And dark, and you have the the sort of the you know the 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 pillar of strength up above, uh, balancing the darkness below. The white and the black, it seems, almost has to be symbolic of the light and the darkness. Uh, the 
strength of the uh, the strength of the elves holding in check the darkness beneath. Um, but the symmetry of the thing is itself kind of interesting. Um, I wouldn't have expected them to adopt that kind of imagery. Now, again, maybe it has nothing to do with the particular. Um, uh, it has nothing to do with the particular occasion, perhaps. I mean, that is to say, it is possible. And here we can go ahead and uh, let's head down, and we can we can look at some of these things down below too. Um, it's possible that that's like the symbol of somebody's house, you know, which just happens to sort of also fit the occasion in a sense. But um, but it certainly seems too. Oh, wait, hang on a second. This is an interesting moment from an architectural standpoint. It seems a little bit too on the nose not to be relevant. Okay, so here's what I'm looking at. The one on the right is clearly a shield and sword thing. Like, this obviously had one of those swords up on top. And, um... Uh... The one on the left presumably did too. We can. This is highly suggested by the fact that one of those, the, one of the broken swords, is right there on the ground next to it, right as if it just fell off it. What I'm interested in looking at here is the base of this pillar, right? Square base with the sort of peach edge there, like the green stripe and the peach edge, and then that black filigree work around it, right? And then we can see the black squares, because I think, if I'm recalling correctly, that's what all of those um yep I think so what all of these pediments around the edge of the disc all look like yeah, just exactly like that Except, wait a second, the other one up there didn't have the lavender. Did I miss the lavender? Hang on. Just checking for lavender. Because this is important. Gotta always base on internal evidence if you can. Okay, yep, see, there's the lavender up on top. This one doesn't have it. Where's the lavender? It's got this black filigree instead. Huh. They're not the same. They're not symmetrical. Notice that the point of the shield comes all the way down to the very top. Which would explain why this is broken off all the way down there, because the entire shield fell off. Huh. Interesting. Okay, sorry. Now let's go down and look. Had to compare. Had to make that one last comparison there. Um, because There's a sword and shield over in this orc camp. Yes. Yeah, I think... I think all of these. Yeah, we see it comes down the same area, all the way down to the lavender and gold. Green stripe around the bottom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, all right, but hang on. So, on the one hand, 
these other pedestals, pediments, what have you, look very similar. This one Okay. Ah. Okay, Emily. Oh, very good. Emily has an extreme close-up there. And yes, the four dots are not symmetrical. Hmm. Interesting. They're definitely not symmetrical. They're wider apart at the top, yet, uh, JJ, you were noticing that same thing. And we'll come back to that. Okay, this has the black... This doesn't have the lavender. This has the black filigree instead, like that other one. I guess they just didn't make them all the same way. These have the they didn't. further up. But, but here's the other thing. It's the shields, right? So this other one next to the path that has the shield has the shield again on the inside, like the one up the slope that we were looking at. And the other one up the slope was broken off down to the base because we could see where the shield was broken off. But this one doesn't look like it lost its shield. It had no shield attached to the front of this. In fact, not only that, we see that this has filigree work over where the shield would have been. So unless they put the black filigree on the stone and then put the shield over top of it, you know, which is like, you know, sort of like an extreme version of repainting behind the couch. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. So my first thought when we were coming down the hill and we were looking at those two broken uh, pediments on the way down, I was thinking that maybe we were, in fact, seeing evidence that every single one of these did have the source, so that there were eight swords all around the edge at all of the cardinal points um, uh, here. But now I'm doubting that again, because these don't have shield spaces or evidence of the shields. Either on the front face or on the sides, like this one, has the shield as, like, almost wings, and I almost just, like, fell into the cliff because I wasn't... I was looking upwards as I was running across. Um, but, no, there also you would see it. See, no, this one is not on the sides. It's actually on the front half. In fact, look, here you can see the cross-section really well here. The shield just faces out a different way. It doesn't face in. It faces out. And you can see how it's actually built into the side of the stone here. Right? It's not just against the face. It's actually built into it. So that means that although this shield down here at the uh, what? South eastern corner this shield faces in. The one on the western side faces out. And none of the others had inward-facing shields. Although, this scrap on the ground over here is a shield. So it seems to have been somewhere. Outward-facing, perhaps? 
No, this has got filigree all the way down. Yeah, the pillars without the the uh, lavender at the bottom. I, I'm actually standing on the only one that's not broken, yeah. and it's a flat top. That one's a perfectly flat top. Yeah, I mean, there it looks like broken uh, brickwork on the top, like you know plaster, but it is definitely a straight flat top. So you're thinking that that one that you're standing on was not broken. Yeah. Or else it had a plinth or something on top of it, or maybe just plaster on the top that you know weathered away, but didn't actually break the the shape of the of the column itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's these um, the pyramidal things, which again look exactly like the dwarf pyramids. Huh. I posted a screenshot of it. Right. Actually, that looks like the cross section here, doesn't it? Is this what the top of that looks like? Okay. I'm going to try to get closer to this without falling in. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I, I've got to think that that symbol, that white and black thing, has got to be a symbol of the rift, especially the way that it's a symbol of the seal, especially the way that it's contained within the ring there. But you'd think that maybe, oh, I don't know, maybe that symbol would appear instead of the lavender china pattern on the rift. On the seal. Which has been rifted. Huh. Um... Alright, let's, um, it's late. I want to just go down here. We can't go too far in, right? Without the quests. What the heck? Who built this? Who built this? A drunken dwarf? What even the heck? Look at those designs in those rectangles. What is that? It looks almost like dwarven knotwork, except it isn't. It's all asymmetrical and chaotic and weird. Who does that? Nobody does that. It's not even like like the, the designs in the Barrow Downs, you no. know, which were like you know, earlier men's work. Right, right, like the swirlies. Yeah, exactly. No, we've not seen... Th that's unique. We haven't seen that anywhere. I also might explain why the the doily pattern is seen nowhere else in game. 
it's also unique. Remember Ponton saying earlier that he couldn't recall it being yeah. anywhere else in the game. Yeah, 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 exactly. exactly. To be fair, it's a unique uh, prisoner in this place, so sure, you know. absolutely. But and yeah, you know, Nancy's wondering where the heck did the stone come from? Yeah, exactly. I haven't seen any reddish brown stone anywhere for quite some distance. And it's embedded in in the mm-hmm. in the obsidian. Yeah. I perhaps it confounds evil spirits. I mean, it's confounding me, so I don't like to think that. But um, it confounds heart art historians too, Emma Thorne. Yeah. Well, I'm just I'm wondering why it should. Uh, Why would I have the symbol of the Iron Crown? Well, the banner of the Iron Crown was presumably put up by the hillmen who were here. Um, you know, I mean, this area is still kind of the frontier. You've got the, you know, the Dunedain camp up the hill, Dunedain slash elf camp up the hill, and you've got the orc camps down, you know, to other side of the ridge there. So this is, um, this is... Could the red stonework be Hillman work? I don't remember seeing anything like this. These kinds of designs, not even in this category. I know that is just unlike anything I've seen. Angular. It's a relief pattern. And it's angular, like dwarvish knotwork is angular. It's not smooth and rounded, like the swirlies of the men, or like so many of the designs of the elves. Um, And yet, it's got all these curves and random weird curves, which dwarvish stuff never has random weird curves. Um... Oh, yeah, you're right. The pattern is the same on both sides of the platform. You can see the... Uh, Hrothgar's pointing out we can see the, you know, the china plate from beneath, too. It is true that most of what we've seen has been Longbeard. It could possibly be a different family of dwarves. I mean, we I think we can now recognize the difference between Dower Handy and uh, Longbeardish construction, but this is totally unlike either one. That is just bizarre. I can't go in, can I? Nope. Alright. Not gonna launch the raid. Well, on that weird note... Okay, so somebody tell me. When was this made? Do we know? Do they say in-game? How how old this place is? Those patterns just freak me out. Yeah, I couldn't remember. I mean, I would guess second age. 
It says during the raid quest. Hmm. There are all these like nearly representational things. Like I keep looking in different parts of it and thinking that I'm seeing shapes. Okay, well, next week we will head to the last unexplored part of Angmar, if we can. Um, and that's up in the Urugarth and Karndoom area. We'll see if we can get into Urugarth and Karndoom and see what we find there. Um, yeah. Well, technically, you haven't seen all of Ramduas, but the stuff you haven't seen is basically landscape. So it's just pretty stuff rather than any architecture yeah. or anything you'd glean from it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, wait, the Rem Duoth? Yeah. Uh, when uh, Scenario revamped Rem oh, Duoth, oh, 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 uh, right, he put right, in some right. waterfalls yeah. and different paths, and it looks yeah. really cool, but it's nothing to really, you know, do other than to say, oh, hey, this looks pretty, move on. Right, right, right. Yeah, okay. Well, we'll see. We'll see if it's possible to... Uh, We'll see if it's possible to get in um, next time, but hmm, hmm. Okay. Anyway, all right. Sorry, I like all confounded here at the very end. Uh, uh, so it is a weird way to finish under the circumstances, but finish we must. Thanks everybody for joining us. I will see you guys next week. We'll see what we can do in the Urgarth and Karndoom region. Uh, for next time, and um, uh, yeah, yeah, so that's what we'll try to get to next time. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for joining me. See you guys next week. Bye now. Thanks for joining me on this epic exploration of The Lord of the Rings and of Standing Stone's video adaptation of Tolkien's story. If you are having even half the fun I'm having on this journey, I hope you will consider supporting the project by donating at signumuniversity.org slash fund.